Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for your son and what he's done on our behalf. We all too often become complacent in our prayers and um, can be repetitive with things. We tend to lose the beauty that we have in communicating with you. I pray that you would give us a fresh understanding today of your command for us to always be in prayer. I pray that we would honor you and and grow in this area of our life as it is such a sweet gift from you to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited your created people to communicate to you, to cry out to the creator of the universe. We love you, Lord. It is because of Christ that we pray. Amen. If you uh, didn't pick up on the hint in the prayer, uh, our study this morning is going to be on prayer. Um, Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon on prayer once this quote, It is not possible that God should refuse to hear prayer. It is possible for him to bid the sun stand still and the moon to stay her monthly march. It is possible for him to bid the waves freeze in the sea, possible for him to quench the light of stars in eternal darkness, but it is not possible for him to refuse to hear prayer that is based on his promise and offered in faith. The beauty of God and his gracious communion to us is that he hears our prayers and he is faithful to answer them. Obviously, this does not mean that God gives us whatever we want. He doesn't always answer them the way that we are asking him to. As we've said before, God is not a genie that exists for us, and prayer is not a rubbing of the genie's lamp to grant us our three wishes. However, God does indeed command his people to pray and to do it regularly. He invites us into this communication with him uh, in a way that is a blessing to us. He calls us to cry out to him for a various number of things. And this is a good gift and command of God, and we are or should be a thankful people making the most of this blessed command. So open your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and and we're going to use this passage as kind of our jumping off point for the rest of our time this morning. So one more time, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So as I said a second ago, our Colossians passage this morning will really be a jumping off point for our time together. Um, I recently got to teach this with our youth on Sunday morning, and it was a great blessing for me to go that lesson and that study, and so I knew and hoped that it would also be a blessing for you as well. Prayer is such a sweet gift from God to us to draw us into a more intimate communion with Him. We can never spend too much time thinking through and focusing on prayer. Prayer is not something we do to change God. God is unchanging. Rather, prayer is something that we do to change our own hearts or our own desires. It is a type of communication with God that helps us realign our desires to God's will and entrust our cares, our concerns, our worries to God who is sovereign over all things. It really is my hope that today's sermon will reinvigorate your prayer life, that it will give you some very practical tools to apply in your prayer and that it will encourage you to do more 
prayer, to pray more regularly. There are four main points that I want to draw our attention to this morning from this passage in Colossians. First, I want us to see that we are to be continually steadfast in our prayer. Second, I want us to see the ways in which we are to be watchful in our prayers. Third, I want us to see how we ought to be thankful in our prayers. And then fourth, lastly, I want us to see that our prayers should be filled with supplication for others. So let me say that one more time. I want to talk about the steadfastness in prayer, the watchfulness in prayer, the thankfulness in prayer, and that we ought to be praying for others. So, uh, point one, continually steadfast in prayer. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Sounds a bit repetitive, huh? There are two regular refrains from Scripture that help us to see the command to always be in prayer. One refrain we see regularly in Scripture is that the authors writing the letters to the churches often declare that they are always or continually praying for those churches, uh, for those people that God has entrusted to their care. The other refrain that we hear regularly in these letters is that the people of the churches themselves are commanded to also be praying constantly. 1 Thessalonians 1-2 We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 To this end we always pray for you. 1 Samuel 12.23 Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Romans 1.9-10 For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. This is indeed just a small sampling of Scripture and the declaration of the writers of Scripture to always be in prayer for the churches or the people that they've been entrusted to shepherd. How comforting must it have been for these new churches who were under great persecution to know that the people that founded it, that started it, that taught them the gospel, were constantly thinking of them, constantly praying for them, constantly going to the Father on their behalf. This is one way that the apostles shepherded these early churches. And just as a side note, your elders do the same for you here. They regularly pray for you. Uh, We are very blessed to have elders who are constantly praying for us. Now we're going to come back to this aim of praying for others in our last point, but I hope that you already can see this regular command in Scripture from the early church and for the early church and for us today. When we consider our own prayer life, can we call it continual and steadfast? That's how our Colossians passage calls us to be praying, continual and steadfast. In another one of Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote at Thessalonians, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Never stop. (laughs) Always pray. If we consider all that Scripture gives us on the topic of prayer, there is one clear point that we must see, and it is that we ought always to be prayerful. I believe this is an area that can use greater attention in the lives of Christians. I'm concerned that even though we may regularly pray, it can tend to be something that we're doing out of habit, something that we're not actually considering deeply. Uh, What I don't want for us as a church family is to hurry up our prayers so that we can get to the good stuff. You know, whether that's uh, studying Scripture, which is indeed good. I always pray before I study, but am I tempted to pray quickly so that I can get into the Word? That wouldn't be good. Perhaps it's dinner. Can't wait to taste the flavor, so let's say grace real fast so we can get to the good part, right? Unfortunately, this 
kind of flippancy can become fairly commonplace, and it really can cause us to miss the, the point and the beauty of prayer, the sweet gift that it is from our good God. Consider this, if you were to be intentional with someone on a regular basis, hoping to grow some sort of relationship with that person, and as you shared with them, as you tried to engage, they would hear you and then just kind of briefly give you some kind of flippant comment and then go on to something else, would you consider that person to have a desire to have a relationship with you? No, of course not. It would seem like there were other more important things for them than to engage with you, right? Unfortunately, when we become flippant in our prayers, this is how we treat our holy God. It's why we don't want to practice being prayerful in this way, right? We don't want to be flippant with those things. God has given us such a gift in prayer. It is a gift that brings about relational closeness and an intimate familiarity. It's the same gift that we have in communication with each other. You see, God commands this of us for our good. God does not need us to ask him in prayer for the things that we need or to cry out to him with the cares of our heart as if he doesn't already know them. Prayer is not something God needs from us as if the self-sufficient God is in need of anything, right? Prayer is instead a good gift of God to us because it's something that we need. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The point of this verse is that praying for the sake of praying or out of habit, heaping up empty phrases in, in hopes that if you say enough, you'll be heard, is not the point of prayer. That is not a true or heartfelt communication with God. And prayer is supposed to be true and heartfelt. The reason that this type of prayer is unhelpful is that God doesn't need you to inform him about your needs. He already knows them. Some may say, well, then why do we pray at all? Why are we commanded to pray? If God already knows and God is good, then what's the purpose of prayer? If God does not need us to tell him what we need or how or why we're hurting, then why pray? Well, the answer is simple. We need prayer. We need that time to go to God and to pour out our hearts. It is good for us. It's not necessary for him. It's a blessed gift from God to us. Prayer is not about God being in need, but rather it is a gracious gift given to us by our good God who knows our hearts and knows the human need that we will have of communicating to him through prayer. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, again, God does not need you to tell him what's going on in your heart. Rather, we need God to help us know our own hearts. You see this beautiful reality right here in this passage. Your heart is deceptive, and you cannot understand your own heart, but God knows it. He knows every thought, every desire, even every word before it comes out of our mouth. He knows it. If this is the case, then it must be clear that God does not need us to tell him what's going on in our hearts. Rather, we need him to show us what's going on. This is why we pray. As God's creation, and because God knows our hearts better than we do, he also knows that we will need to come to him in prayer, to pour out our hearts to him. God knows our deepest needs. He gives us this gracious gift of prayer 
so that we have the ability to plead for the understanding of our own hearts because sin has corrupted our natures. In prayer, we are given the gift of speaking to God. In prayer, we are given the gift of speaking to God, the creator of all things. We are assured that he hears us. And this is a key way that we get to have communion or relational time with God. This is one reason why we are commanded to do this unceasingly. The more we cry out to God, the closer we tend to walk with him. The more we share our hearts as much as we can understand of them anyways, the more we plead for things but entrust them to God and say, your will be done, the greater our prayer life becomes, the greater our love and intimate closeness grows with the God of our hearts. I hope, Christian, that you are seeing the deep need to be more regularly praying. Perhaps this is a good test for you to consider. Do you spend as much time in prayer as you do, say, your study of the scriptures? Um, I'm not asking that question to condemn you or just level you with another task to become a more righteous Christian. I I simply want to draw our attentions to the reality of these commands for us to always be in prayer. One of the things that I've found most helpful during my personal study time is to pray as I study, as I'm reading a verse, as I'm trying to understand what's being said. I'm constantly asking the Lord to help help me have insight, help me to understand this. Particularly if I'm going to teach it, help me to know this. I don't want to misteach something that you have said. You see, the beauty of prayer is that you can do it while you're doing other things. Do you drive some distance to your work? Why not practice praying during that time? Um, as a side note, as I, as I thought about sharing that, be careful not to miss your exit or to drive past your work. Uh, there's been many times where I, I'm driving to work, and, and it's not unsafe. I'm not like running stoplights or anything, but I'm, I'm so deep in prayer. I'm, I'm, there is such a need for me to be pouring out my heart to my Lord that I'll forget where I'm going. I'll drive right past it. And typically... What this reveals to me is that I have not been regular in my prayers. I need it more and more. Christian, this command from God to us to be always praying, always communicating to him is such a good gift. I hope you can see that God's commands are good for you, that they bring us life and joy. I want to look at one more verse before we move on to our next point. That's Luke 18 verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. I really appreciate the way Jesus uses parables to help us grasp concepts that we can so easily miss. Have you cried out to God for justice for something? Well, if that justice hasn't come, don't give up. Rather, continue crying out to God and continue trusting the good judge to bring that justice in his sovereign timing. God will give justice to his elect. Jesus assures us of this in his parable. To be clear, our prayer does not force the hand of God to bring justice sooner than he would. Rather, what we are doing when we regularly pray for things like that is that we are reminding ourselves that God is the just judge 
He is the sovereign one. And we can entrust justice to him. So that it's not a burden that you and I carry. So that we are not tempted, perhaps, to bring that justice ourselves. I hope you see here that praying does not, again, change God. But it most certainly realigns our hearts with who God is. That God is capable and sovereign. And that God will do what he has promised. So we can entrust those things to him and rest in his sovereignty. We see clearly the practice of the apostles to be in prayer for the churches regularly. And we see the command from scripture for us to be always or constantly in prayer. Another gift of prayer given to us by our gracious God is that it is a tool to be watchful over our hearts and life, which is my second point this morning, watchful prayer. Going back to our Colossians passage, we see that we are not only to be continually in prayer, but we are to be watchful in prayer. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. When we are steadfast in prayer, we see that it also is a tool for us to be watchful over our hearts, over our minds, to again realign ourselves with God and his sovereign will. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thinking back to my last sermon on the the war within, One of the tools that God gives us to do this battle that that we have raging inside of ourselves is the tool of prayer. When you begin to have that inner dialogue and you're arguing against your, your old self, your old desires, when you are tempted to sin and you're in danger of being deceived by it, you have a beautiful tool to stop that conversation and to go to God in prayer. To cry out to him, Lord, I I know that this battle that's raging right now is not for my good. I know that thing I'm being tempted to is not going to honor you or bring any glory to you, so it will not bring me joy. Lord, help me to see the deceitfulness of it. Help me to put it down to honor you. Pray for clarity to see the deceitfulness of sin. Pray for strength against your old self and its sinful desires. Even the mere act of praying can help you turn your mind from the focus of the temptation before you unto your God, who has promised to not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. God indeed promises that when you are tempted, he will provide a way out of that temptation. And one of those ways is as simple as this gift of prayer. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, for clarity's sake, this is a verse that's commonly misused to say that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that's not what this passage is saying. So I just want to be really clear about that. Uh, oftentimes you'll hear this taught, if, if you're going through a trial, see, God knows you're strong enough for that trial. <laughs> it, that passage is speaking to temptation. Temptation and trial is very different. Um, God is indeed strong enough for any trial in your life, but you and I are not. Oftentimes those trials are meant for us to uh, cry back out to him and to acknowledge that he's the one we need to get through those things. But when it comes to temptation, which is what this passage is about, God says that he will provide a way out of that temptation, that uh, essentially when you do give in to temptation and sin, uh, it is not as if you had no other option. God always provides a way out of it. And the point of this passage is that God gives these gifts so that when temptation comes, you may be able to avoid falling into temptation and sin, And the reason why I brought that point in is because prayer is one of those gifts. It's one of those escapes that God provides for us. Temptation and trials, again, are two different things, just for clarity's sake. Remember that in case you come across that verse again. Jesus' command in the Matthew passage that I read 
was for us to pray that we may not enter into temptation. God promises that he'll give us a way to escape temptation, and prayer is one of those means he provides. Peter declares in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Jesus encourages us to pray because our flesh is weak. Peter says, be watchful. There's an adversary that is always on the hunt like a roaring lion. I don't know if you've ever watched any nature documentaries, but the, the lion that's hunting is always seeking for the, the, the weak. It's always finding the easiest prey, right? So if our flesh is weak, then we ought always to be prayerful, to be watchful in that prayer for protection against the, the adversary who's seeking our weaknesses to devour us, right? Pray that the deceitfulness of sin and old desires will become more and more clear to you, that you will give no room to your adversary to lead you to temptation. Pray that you may avoid those things and honor God, which brings a true believer joy. These are all ways that prayer is a, a watchful tool for us. Another very practical way that prayer can be watchful over our hearts and minds is to be praying for wisdom. James chapter 1, verses 5-8. through eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God promises to give to those who ask in faith wisdom. In fact, here in the James passage, he promises to do so generously and without reproach. If you spend any time in the book of Proverbs, God constantly says in Proverbs that we ought to be seeking wisdom. That wisdom is a thing that will bring us joy, that will honor him. Church, we need the wisdom of God. Everyone in here ought to be regularly praying for wisdom. God is gracious and he gives it to us generously. Now, just so you don't misunderstand this, one of the primary ways that we grow in wisdom is through discipleship and growing together with more mature believers. This command to pray for wisdom does not imply that you will be given a secret wisdom that no one else gets. Rather, God has shown time and time again in his word and through our lives lived out that he graciously pours out wisdom to us in the context of growing under leaders and disciples. When Christ gave his marching orders prior to his ascension, part of those orders were to go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ had commanded. You see, we are not to simply pray for wisdom and then trust our own thoughts as if they are ultimate, as if we are going to be given some kind of secret knowledge. Rather, we are to pray for wisdom. Then we are to do the things that God has called us to do. This is one way that we pray for wisdom with faith that God will answer the prayer. We faithfully obey God's commands. We ask for wisdom. And then as we do that, we get to watch God graciously answer our prayers by pouring out his wisdom through his word, through faithful teachers of his word, through faithful disciples teaching us all that his word declares. And this is one of the reasons why we treasure our Sunday service here at Disciples Church and our midweek teaching time and the various ways in which we do discipleship. God answers this prayer for wisdom in these ways. And for any of you who have been here and been regular in these, you know the ways that God has grown your wisdom. Now, this point of my lesson is not primarily about wisdom, but think about this question. Does not wisdom, or the application of the knowledge of God and how he has called us to live as Christians, doesn't that help with your watchfulness over your heart and mind? Yeah, of course it does. 
Again, if you've been a faithful member here, how many ways has our midweek teaching or Pastor Josh's faithful preaching given you a greater knowledge and wisdom of God, and and how many ways has that been watchful over your soul? I cannot number them for my own life, and I am confident that it is the same for you. If prayer truly is a gift to us, a, a tool for communion with God, a way to realign our hearts to God's will and to know that our good God hears us, then it follows that prayer is a great tool for watchfulness of our souls, And in all the ways that we are given to use prayer is a blessing to us. So let's move to my next point, point three, thankfulness in prayer. Our Colossians passage ends with this point in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. During our all-church celebration last Sunday, Pastor Joshua focused in on our need to be thankful. Uh, leading up to Thanksgiving, what, what better time? How, how amazing that God ordained that particular passage in Ephesians for that morning. I hope that Josh's sermon was a blessing to you, and I, and I hope that you thought much about that over this week. As you had your Thanksgiving meal, as you met with family or friends, um, I, I hope that you counted the ways in which God has blessed you. He has abundantly blessed us. When it comes to prayer, we most certainly have so much to be thankful for. Are you breathing? Be thankful. God doesn't owe that to us, right? That is a gift from him. The very chance to pray should cause us to be thankful. The the reality that God not only hears our prayers, but commands us to speak to him, should make us thankful. He's the creator of all things. He doesn't have to do that. It's a gift to us. But I would submit to you that the greatest cause to give thanks in prayer is God the mediator, Jesus himself, who makes our prayers possible. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, because of Christ's mediation on our behalf, we can come to God in prayer. We can plead to God based on the finished work of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that those who lived prior to Christ's death and resurrection could not pray to God. They knew that God had promised a Messiah, that that Messiah would come one day, and that that Messiah would be their mediator. So they prayed through the same mediator that you and I pray through today. But we who are under the new covenant are witnesses to the finished work of Christ. And so we have a clearer picture as men, as as humans, of the mediation that Christ made. Therefore, we have a clearer picture to plead upon. Again, for clarity's sake, God, who exists outside of time, always knew the fullness of what he was doing in redemption. Those who lived before Christ and are subject to time were able to pray because of Christ's work to come. Even though they did not have the fullness of the picture of what Christ would do, they were able to pray because of his mediation the same way that you and I are today. However, for those of us who live after Christ came, we are blessed with a fuller clarity in time, being able to see the fullness of what Christ did and therefore pray because of Christ's finished work on the cross and his continual work of mediation on our behalf. The point of this clarity, church, is that when you pray... Are you praying with this in mind? Are you considering the reality that the blood of Jesus on your behalf is the mediation that allows you to come to God and pour out your hearts to him? This is why we must not be flippant in our prayers. Every time we pray, 
we ought to do it with a genuine conscience aware, sorry, a conscious awareness that we are able to pray because of what Christ has done. Colossians 3:17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This ought to be the thing we are most thankful for in our prayers. It, it, it ought to drive us to not approach prayer quickly with the goal of getting to the good thing, right? Do you see why the Word of God calls us to pray with thanksgiving? Each time we pray, we ought to be thinking of what our Savior has done and is doing to mediate on our behalf. We ought to be thankful first and foremost for Christ's finished work that allows us to come to the creator of the universe and plead our our case or pour out our heart. We ought to do that with thankfulness. Without Christ's mediation, we would not have access to the Father and the communion that prayer gives us would not be possible. This is another beautiful gift from a good God and I would not want us to miss that when it comes to thankfulness in our prayers. The scriptures are full of commands to give thanks to God. Psalm 106, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Church, thank him in your prayers. Thank him for his steadfast love, the endurance of his steadfast love. The Psalms are filled with this particular expression. Uh, God's steadfast love is the reason you and I have been saved. Thank him for this in your prayers. Church, perhaps things are really tough for you right now. Uh, Perhaps you're dealing with hardship or suffering. Um, We know people in our church family right now who who are dealing with ridiculous illnesses, things that are very difficult. Even in those things, we have so much to be thankful for. Have you ever been in a spot so, so difficult, so uh, tumultuous in your mind that you didn't even know how you should pray? Romans eight twenty six through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Christian, even when you do not know how to pray as you ought to. God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us. And he does so according to God's will. Earlier in this Romans 8 passage, Paul was speaking about suffering. And then he makes this very statement. Christian, nothing that comes to pass in your life is wasted or purposeless. God declares that he works all things out for your good. Whether you see that in this life or you realize it more fully in eternity with Him, we can give thanks in our prayers always because God is working for our good even in the worst of circumstances. Jesus has completed the work necessary to redeem us to God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. What possible circumstance or hardship can keep us who have been saved by God's grace alone from being thankful for what God has done for us? As Christians, we do not even lose our thankfulness when death comes. Do you you get that? As Christians, you, you cannot be defeated. You will always have a joy. 
Paul declared that death would be his gain. And this is true for all believers. Not even death can take our thankfulness, Christian. Death just brings us face to face with the one who saved us, who's made us thankful. Everything we have comes from God. The breath in our lungs, the food that we eat to sustain our bodies, all comes from God. The skill that you have to do the work you do to provide, the the family that supports you or that you support, the physical abilities or inabilities, all come from God. And in any and every circumstance, as believers, we can be thankful, we must be thankful, for God's steadfast love endures forever. Consider this when you are suffering through some trial. Do you thank God for that suffering or trial? James calls us to consider it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. Because God uses those trials to grow us into full maturity as Christians, lacking in nothing, as James would say. So be thankful in your prayers for your trials. Do you thank God when you awake for another day? God does not owe us days and years of life. In fact, he has them numbered. He knows every one of them before they come. So when you wake up in the morning, what an amazing gift you have, an amazing way to start your day by acknowledging that God has given you yet another day to make much of his name, to enjoy him and the things that he has done for you. Do you wake up thankful for that, Christian? Do you, do you pray? Do you, Lord, thank you, another day. You're so good. Have you ever wondered what the practice of saying grace before a meal was all about? Uh, Growing up, that was like the longest 30 seconds of my life. I can smell the aroma. I just can't wait to dig in. And I'm like, okay, come on, we're going to get there? I didn't realize until much later how thankful I should be for food on my table. It took me moving out on my own and and being a a young, uh, proud, 19-year-old man to realize that uh, food's not always waiting for you. (laughs) So we give thanks before eating to acknowledge that all that we have is provided by God. Church, we ought to be ever so thankful in all that we do and especially in our prayers. Let us move to my last point for our time this morning. Uh, Point four, pray for others. In many of the epistles Paul wrote when he greets the church that he's writing to, he, he regularly tells them that he is praying for them. He says he's always praying for them. He's constantly praying for them. He's thinking of them always in his prayers. By way of this example, we would have plenty to go off of and to say that we ought to be praying for others. But we have more example. Paul also typically at some point specifically asks those receiving his letters to pray for him and for his ministry partners. We see Paul declare in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 and verse 9, the first part, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then in verse 9 he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We then see Paul make this request in our Colossians verse that we started our time off with today. Colossians 4, verse 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Think about that, church. Paul said, the reason I'm locked up is the preaching of the gospel. Pray that I can do that more. (laughs) Pray that I have more opportunity. That's a side note. Sorry. What we can take from this and the many other commands of Scripture is that we need to be a praying people. We need to be praying for others. We need to have others praying for us. We need to be praying for opportunities to push the gospel forward. We, We... live in a lost and dark world, and we have the light of the gospel to share, church. 
When Pastor Josh taught through the book of James, he hit on some passages that speak about prayer, and he brought some really excellent clarity to those passages. So if you missed those lessons, you can go to the church website, you can look up the sermon archive, uh, and it's two, a two-part sermon series that he did on prayer. He called it, I think, just Prayer 1 and Prayer 2 in the book of James. So I, I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to those. Very helpful. But one of the points that Pastor Josh made was that he wants the people of his flock, of, of this church, to be a praying people. Not just someone who says, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you, but someone who says, can we pray right now? Let, let's stop. I, I won't just pray for you later. I want to pray now. There is such comfort when you know that your brothers and sisters are going to God on your behalf. Just consider all that we've learned about prayer this morning from the scriptures and apply that to praying for others. Pray for others constantly. There are always people in your life who could use prayer. If somehow you find yourself struggling to think of someone who needs prayer, pray for your pastors and your elders. Pray pray for the leaders of the table groups on, on midweek nights. Pray for them. They're given a great task to lead, to, to love, and they want to do that well, so be praying for them. Pray for your church family. Pray for your blood family. Pray for your elected officials, right? The list really can be endless here. But be a Christian who prays for others and does so regularly. Pray for people you haven't met yet, that you may have the chance to share the life-changing gospel truth with them. Pray for others with a watchfulness for them. Pray that your brothers and sisters do not fall into sin. Pray for married couples. Pray for singles. Pray for elderly. Pray for their hearts and souls to grow more and more in tune with God and His will for their life. Pray that your leaders would lead you well, watch over the flock that they've been entrusted with well. Pray for our youth. Church, if ever there was a group of people who could be blessed by your watchful prayers over them, it is our youth. Just consider the world that they are growing up in, the access to things that we couldn't even have dreamed of when we were their age, the the pressures of a society that's constantly in their face, not just if and when they're at school, but online all the time. Uh, I was talking to a student recently about this, and I brought it to their attention Uh, One of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons that we saw that we needed to homeschool our girls was was this pressure from other kids their age, uh, the same immaturity, but but this weight that it bore. Now, consider the students who go to school and have that pressure and then go home and have access to social media. Consider the fact that that pressure is relentless then. It does not go away. It is constant. They'll wake up, look at their phone, check out the social media, and it's there. So pray for a watchfulness for them. They could use that. What about the shut-ins, the the elderlies? What about the, the, the people who are stuck in nursing homes right now? The ones who aren't allowed to, to embrace their family or see them. Maybe maybe they don't even know why. This virus is truly dangerous for them, but be praying for them. Be watchful over their hearts and their souls in your prayers for them. When you have no other way of engaging, engage in prayer. These are just a few examples of being prayerful for others. What about thankfulness? Practically speaking, how many people in your life can you thank God for? I mean, really slow down and think about it. I bet there's a a pretty large list for you. What a blessing, church, that there are so many others who are praying for you, loving you, knowing you, upholding you in their prayers. Do the same for them. I'll close with this. We truly have so much to be thankful for. There are so many ways we can be praying for others, and there are so many ways we can be praying for ourselves. We must make prayer a bigger priority in our lives. If you are not regularly praying, 
then what areas of life do you need to address to make this a more regular practice? Christian, God hears your prayers. Is there an area of life that you need to submit to God? Then do it. He commands you to cry out to him. Submit that thing to God and then line your heart back up with your desire to trust God's will over all things. Be thankful in your prayer. The one true God creator of all hears you. And that's truly astonishing. Thank God for the gift of prayer. Thank God most of all for the finished work of Christ who mediates for us and makes our prayers possible. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who prays for us when we do not know how we ought to pray. Let's make the most of this blessed gift. Let's consider our prayer life in these next days and weeks and and let's be intentional to, to make some practical changes. What a sweet gift God's given us. With that, let me close this in prayer. Father, you've graciously invited us to uniquely have this ability to communicate to you. You know our hearts. You know the needs of our hearts. You know the the thoughts of our mind. You know the struggles, Lord. We're so thankful that you invite us still to pour these things out to you for our good. Help us to to consider these things more seriously. Help us to pray more earnestly with a a thankful, watchful heart, to pray more regularly, to, to make use of and enjoy this command from you, this sweet gift of a command from you, to be continually in prayer. We lift up those who are not here with us this morning, those who either can't be or chose not to be, We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be working in their hearts. We pray for opportunities to share the gospel with those who do not know you. We pray for favor in those conversations. Pray that we would honor you above all things and entrust all of this to you, Lord. Your will be done. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen.